Welcome, and we are glad you are here with us today. This 4th of July weekend, I hope you're getting good rest, you're getting a chance to uh, celebrate this great country we live in, and then today, I hope you will have the opportunity to just meet with the Lord. That's what it's all about, getting time to spend with God. We're in the, this series called Songs of Summer. We're in Psalm chapter 90. One week after the other, we, we go through these psalms, and I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 90 as we look at that together. It's important as you look at Psalm 90 to notice that we're in a new book. The psalms are divided into five books. We're, we are now into book four. Book four has 17 psalms. It's compiled together. You know, a lot of people are like, why, why is it compiled this way? Uh, well, it... Uh, is more than likely used liturgically. Uh, these, these 17 psalms from 90 to 106, uh, more than likely even used at one of the feasts, like the Feast of Tabernacles. And it, what I want you to notice, most importantly, is the change that we have from Psalm 89 to Psalm 90. As we go from Psalm 89, where we were at last week, we'll see a stark contrast. In Psalm 89, you see the psalmist grieving over the loss of the monarchy of Israel. God had told his people, if you run away from me and you don't obey my, my laws and my ways, then I will allow these neighboring countries to come in and conquer you. And that judgment has happened. And the psalmist is grieving the covenant that God made with his people to have a man on the throne uh, under the line of David. Then we get to Psalm 90, and this is particularly uh, interesting to note that it's a psalm by Moses. Moses, the only song in the whole Psalter that's attributed to Moses. So why is that? Well, I think maybe it's very purposeful in the sense that, you know, as they're grieving the loss of their kingdom, that this that this group of people who've put these psalms together compiles this group and says, okay, now let's look at what it was like pre-kingship of Israel. Before Israel ever had a king, who was their king? God was. He was the one who had conquered the king of Egypt when he had rescued his people from slavery. And he had used Moses in that as his instrument to bring his people out of Egypt. And so as we turn the corner into Psalm 90, into book 4, we have a change of outlook, a change of pace, a prayer. Specifically, Psalm 90 is a prayer. Now, as I start most talks, I like to think of a good story to tell. I want, I want us to, you know, have a story that might get us thinking a certain direction and, and thinking about certain things that will help us as we encounter this text and as I was thinking of a story, I was trying to think of a story that demonstrated what it was like to ask for something and then receive something in return that was much, much greater than what we'd asked for. And I had a hard time with this task. I was thinking, I was racking my brain, and the best I could come up with were, were these two examples, okay? I remember as a child having a dollar or needing a dollar for something I was going to buy. I don't know what I was doing exactly. And I asked my dad for a dollar. And all he had on him was a $20 bill. 
And so he gave me that $20. He didn't ask for change back. He just said, here, just take the 20. And I thought that was the best day in the world. I had asked for a dollar. I got $20. That was, that was a huge deal. 20 bucks in my pocket. That was awesome. And then here's, uh, I told you, these, these aren't going to be great stories. I couldn't think of a good story because here's my second story. I went to Barbarito's one day. I can't even remember when this was. And I was talking to the guy behind the counter. And he was making my order. And as he was making my order and asking my toppings, he was just loading it on. It was an awesome day. I mean, he, he's like, you know, triple serving of chicken, triple serving of guac. And I was like, this is awesome. I asked for this, and I was given extravagantly more than what I asked for. Okay, those were the two best stories I had. What about you? Has there ever been a time where you have asked for something and been given much more than what you asked for? What about in prayer? Have you ever prayed for something? And you've seen God answer that prayer and maybe even in a way that, that far outweighs what you could have ever asked for. I have a, a prayer book with me right now that I use. Uh, this was an idea that sparked from a book I read called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I recommend that book to lots and lots of people. And in this book, I write down some, some prayers of mine. And when I go through it, I'll see certain places where I've prayed for things and I've seen God answer those prayers. And sometimes even in ways well beyond what I could have ever thought or imagined. And that's what I want you to think about as we encounter Psalm 90. Because Psalm 90 is a prayer, but most importantly, it's an answered prayer. So turn with me, well hopefully you're already there, and look with me at Psalm 90. I'm going to break it into four sections. First, a praise. Second, a lament. Third, a meditation. And fourth, a petition. And in these four sections, I want you to see one whole prayer from start to beginning that ultimately we will see answered. I'm going to read the whole text. It's just 17 verses. And then we will go through each of those sections. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had ever formed the earth and the world From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. 
Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I invite you to pray with me right now. Lord, as the psalmist declares, you are our dwelling place. For all generations, you have been faithful. You are everlasting. You are sovereign over all. You are great. And as this psalm points out, we are small. My prayer today is that we would receive your word and it would come alive and transform us. Maybe not right in this moment. Maybe so. But, but if not, Lord... Allow this word to transform us in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead. I don't know. In, in whatever time it takes, Lord, would you allow this word to sink deep into our heart. And it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. In Psalm 90, we have four sections. At first, we have a praise. It begins with verse 1 and 2. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We see a God that's great, that's eternal, that's perfect in all of his ways. And the psalmist is praising him here. And, and uh, I love this first verse because it sounds like some phrase we would all want to say in some form or fashion, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. I mean, I can hear us praying that. Lord, you've been our dwelling place. And someone echoes behind you, yes, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. And if you have kids like me, and this is what's so awesome about kids, one of my kids would say, dwelling place? What is the, what's a dwelling place? And, and, and I would say, well, a dwelling place is somewhere you live. Like, you know, that's, dwelling means a, a place that you live. And they go, what, is, what do you mean by God is somewhere you live? How do you live in God? I mean, that's, I just can picture my kids asking that question. And it's such a good question because that's like a word, just like a church word. Like, Lord, you're our dwelling place. What's it mean for the Lord to be our dwelling place? If you look more specifically at that word, uh, at, at the Hebrew of word there, it points to this idea, like many of the Psalms do, that the Lord is our protector. He's our refuge. He's our place where we go in times of trouble. How do we do that? How do we go to the Lord? How does he become that? Well, let's think about the very form and nature of what we're reading. It's a prayer. That's how we get to the Lord. That's how we dwell with the Lord. It's through prayer. That's our connecting point to God where we go to him and he becomes our refuge. It's through prayer prayer and he praises him for being accessible in prayer and he praises him in his eternal nature second in the psalm we have a lament this covers verses 3 through 10 he turns from God's eternal nature to look at man's nature you know if we can get a right and a correct view of God we'll get a right and correct view of man he says you return man to dust Harkens us back to Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve have chosen to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, God curses man by saying, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Slightly different words that are used there, but it, it definitely brings us back to the fall of mankind there in Genesis. In fact, uh, several of these other uh, pieces 
that, the, uh, that Moses prays, that the psalmist prays here, it, it, it brings us back to Genesis, where it all started. Where we know that there was this perfect world that God had created, and man sins and breaks his covenant with God, this relationship with God, and, and now he's walking in a broken world. And that contrast between God and man is seen further in verses 4 through 6 when he talks about how a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday. Even the people who lived the longest in the Bible, Methuselah, 969 years, I believe. That, like a thousand years in your sight, that, that's like yesterday. I mean, think back for a second, 24 hours ago. Where were you at 24 hours ago? If you're like me, it always, like, where was I? I can't, I can't even remember. Where was I? I mean, it does feel like a little bit of time. But then you remember, you're like, okay, I was there, I was doing this, I was having dinner. Okay, 24 hours ago, that's what I was doing. That wasn't very long ago. That 24 hours is the way God feels about a thousand years. Metaphorical, but that just gives us a picture of, of what time is like to God. It, it's, it's nothing. And then he uses the example of man's life like a, like a grass that withers. That, that's flourishing in the morning, then by nighttime it withers. In, in one day span, this, this happened in my garden just like a couple weeks ago. I have a jalapeno plant growing, and, and I, I love at least to have one of those plants so I can have jalapenos in the summer. I, I love some spicy food. And um, my jalapeno plant, it was, was growing strong. It looked really healthy when I walked out in the morning. And it was one of those days where I think it was 100 degrees the entire day. I walked out that night, and all its leaves had shriveled up that scorching heat that day. And that's the example of what our life is like. And in just a short time period from morning to night, that's it. That's our lives. Or to use the New Testament language of uh, the author James, our life is like a mist. It appears one second and then it's gone. In verse 7 it says, for we are brought to an end by your anger. And by your wrath, we are dismayed. Why is God angry at us? Why is God's anger pointed at us? In verse 8, it gives us the answer. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your presence. You see, God's a holy God. He's perfect in all his ways. And when our sins, even our secret sins that no one else knows about, he sees them, when those are put on the table, God's wrath is against us. And because of that, we sit under his judgment. The judgment from the fall in the Garden of Eden. The judgment that we will return to dust. For all our days pass away in your wrath, verse 9 says, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's not just that our lives are short, because he says in the ver next verse, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil. <coughs> Excuse me. Their, their span is but toil and trouble. They are gone and we fly away. That sneeze was probably a good example of, of that, that feeling of like just a sigh. like oh. Just that moment like that. That's our lives. 
It's here and it's gone. And are we even remembered? You know, like, here, again, I go back to that New Testament writer James when he says we're a mist, we're here, and then, and then we're gone the next. I used this example when I was teaching through the book of James. I said, I want you to think about your, your family, just your family. We're not talking about anybody outside your family. The family, the people you know the best. Name your, the names of your grandparents. Okay, I can do that. Max and June. John and Barbara. Okay, I got their names. I know their names. I can tell you a lot about John and Barbara. They're still living. I've spent a lot of time in my life with them. I could, I could tell you a good bit about them. My other grandparents, I could tell you some about them. I knew them as, as a, a small child. I've heard some stories of them. Okay, now let's, let's go up. Let's go to our great-grandparents. This is just our parents' grandparents. As close as, you know, maybe we've had a relationship with our grandparents. That's what our parents had. Uh, at least uh, for some of uh, my parents, grandparents, they had that. I, I, I think I can tell you the name of one of my great-grandparents. I, like right now, I could not tell you the first name of, of any of the others. And that was the great-grandmother that, that I knew um, up until the time I was in college. I could tell you a little bit about her. A little bit about her background, some of the challenges she had in, in, the, in, in the era she grew up in. And I could tell you she could hustle, hustle you at some cards. But my other great-grandparents, I don't even know if I could tell you their first name. I definitely couldn't tell you the great-great-grandparents' names or anything about them. That history is gone. That's an example of our lives. That's an example of how short our lives are and how quick they go. And that leads us to a meditation. This is the third aspect of, of this prayer in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The psalmist is asking, who stops to think about this predicament we're in? To understand that we are, our lives are short, and not only are our lives short, but they're spent in toil and trouble, they're like a sigh. We're sitting under the judgment of God. And this meditation, if we stop and, and think and work our minds on it, it's a path towards wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you want wisdom, it starts with these meditations. Because then we'll move to the fourth part of this prayer, a petition. And it will begin with our minds being open to wisdom. Through the, his very first request, he has seven requests, seven petitions. In verse 12, so teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You have that first word, so. With, with all this in mind, knowing who you are, God, knowing that you're eternal, knowing who we are and how we suffer under this judgment and this life that's full of heartache. So teach us to number our days. And in that, 
we will gain a heart of wisdom. You know, here's why this will make us wise. Because when we number our days, we realize that God has no days, that he's beyond that, that, he, that before there, were, there was time, he was. That God is eternal. That God, understanding him in that, we can understand ourselves. That we aren't God. Second, the psalmist asks for God to return his people in verse, return to his people in verse 13. And you really pick up on the emotion and the longing that's contained within this poetry. Kind of like what you read between the lines. I was listening to a song as I was studying for this psalm. And I remember as the song was going, like, I mean, I was sitting there, I was reading, I was typing a few things up, and this song was playing in the background. And before I knew it, I'm, I'm like caught up in the song. I'm kind of swaying with the song. I'm, I'm listening. I, I'm singing. I'm moving. Because songs give us the opportunity to express emotion, some of the deepest things of our heart in a way that nothing else can. It, like, if these were just, you know, lines on a paper, words on a paper, that would be one thing. But this is a song. This, this is meant to move us. And you see that in these verses. Return, Lord, how long? Satisfy us. Will you make us glad? Let your work be shown to your servants. Let the favor of God rest upon us. He's crying out to God and like it's, it's pouring out these emotions. And there's seven of these ask of God, return to us, satisfy us. Why? So that we'll be glad. Our lives are full of heartache. We want gladness. And then he says in verse 15, make us glad. <coughs> For as many days as you've afflicted us. Lord, our prayer is, will you just give us as many good days as we've had bad days? Verse 16, this is his fifth request, show us your work and your power. We want to see your power, Lord. And then finally in verse 17, we have request 6 and 7, favor us, God, and establish us. Establish the work of our hands. What a prayer. What a prayer from Moses, what a prayer we have, what a treasure we have in this Psalm 90. But it's not just a prayer that we might grab onto and pray alongside. We can do that. But here's the most important part that I want to bring out today. The most important point I want, I want you to hear is that this is just not this is not just a prayer, it's an answered prayer. And not just an answered prayer, it's an extravagantly answered prayer. I don't think Moses or, or the, you know, the psalmist who compiled some of the words of Moses into this prayer, I don't think they could have ever imagined how this would be answered. It's of note, 
I didn't point this out when we were walking through it, that the Lord's name is used in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, return, O Lord. Now we have Lord in verse 1, in verse 17, that's Adonai, my Lord, my God. That's, that's the um, more informal way of calling out to God. But in verse 13, we have the covenantal name of the Lord, Yahweh. And it's of note that it's in that particular spot, surrounded by the things in which he is saying. Because we, we and the psalmist are caught in a great tension. And that is the tension of which we look and we are told about a God who's loving and gracious and kind and forgiving. But yet, he's also just. And he punishes sin. How are we to understand that? And, the, and his name, Yahweh, well, Moses is given that name. If you go back to Exodus 34, I, I be glad if you would just turn back in your Bible to Exodus 34, verse 5. When his name is revealed, here's what it says. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. The Lord passed before him and, and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. How can God be just and loving at the same time? How can this psalmist say, God, let your favor rest upon us. Yes, I understand that we're sinful and we sit under your judgment and our years are but toil and trouble. But will you be gracious to us? How can we reconcile those two things? Jesus. That's the answer, the unanswer unanswerable conundrum that is this tension between the justice and the love of God is answered in Jesus. You see, he took our punishment for our sin. In the most loving and extravagant gift of love, he allowed God to be both just and loving by his gift of life through his sacrificial death on the cross. In verse 3, I want you to see this. I, I want to just take you back to this psalm when you understand that this prayer has been answered. And it's been answered in Jesus. In verse 3, it says, you return man to dust. Jesus went to the tomb just like we go to the tomb. And his body was to be returned to dust just like us. But it wasn't. In verse 5, it says, you sweep people away like a flood. That's the wrath of God sweeping us away, but it was Jesus who was swept away in that flood of wrath. In verse 7, it says, we are consumed or we are brought to an end. Well, 
Well, Jesus was consumed on the cross for our sake. In verse 8, it says, all of our iniquities and sins are before God. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says that Jesus himself bore our sins on that cross. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger? As we meditate on that, as we meditate on, remember that's that verse, that, that we're asked to sort of just stop and think. Who considers this? As we consider this, we say, in Jesus, we see the answer. We see the anger and wrath of God against sin, that a payment had to be paid. And instead of us paying, Jesus paid on our behalf. In Jesus, we have the answer to this prayer. As I studied this psalm, I couldn't get over not just the fact that God answered this prayer, but in such extravagant fashion through the person and the work of Jesus. Because in verse 15 it says, it's, it's, it's such a great request, and it makes sense. It's one that maybe you could hear yourself praying. Will, God, will you give us just as many good days as we've had bad days? Will you give us just as many good years as we've had bad years? And in Jesus, we get so much more. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, here's what it says. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This answered prayer through the life and work of Jesus means that all the bad days that Moses faced... All the bad days that we face, they're a moment. It's a light moment of affliction. And in return, we have an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the answer prayer. If you're sitting here, here today, I want you to hear that. That the scripture all through the entire Bible points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. And when Moses and the psalmist wrote this prayer out, Jesus became the answer. And it's through Jesus that we walk in new life. It's through Jesus that we, that we are given eternal life and eternal glory beyond all comparison. So most of all, I want you to know that this is an answered prayer. But I also want you to know, this is the final word I have for you, that this is an applicable prayer. I, I could spend, you know, a while just talking about some of the application here. The greatest point of application is to see Jesus, to, to know him, to trust in him. If you never turn to Jesus, you can trust in him. You can, you can believe in him and he will save you because he bore your sins on the cross. But I could also give you a few other points of application. Namely, that God does answer prayers. This is a prayer that was prayed hundreds of years before it was answered. That was, that was a part of our talk last week of understanding our place in the grand scheme. I told you earlier, I, had this, I have this prayer book. I wish I was better at it, honestly. 
Because every time I write down a prayer, I could, I could look back. At, here's one, just the first one I, I came to. I promise I, I didn't like plan this. First one I came to, uh, a guy I prayed for, I saw him last week. And the very thing that I prayed for, that he was praying for, and he asked me to pray for with him, he told me last week that this, 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 this prayer had been answered. God answers prayers. Uh, just one other point, I think, and I'll wrap it up here, and that's another point of application is you cannot get past the richness of verse 12. Lord, would you help us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom? Let's do that. Let's, let's gain a heart of wisdom. Let's, let's realize that we aren't God. So let's not act like it. Let's not put our will ahead of his will. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done on heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. Let's realize that he's eternal and we're not. That it's only through his sacrifice that we will live beyond this life and eternity with him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this psalm. I thank you that you have answered this prayer. And right now, there's things on our hearts, things that we're praying for, that because we see an answered prayer in Scripture, we can know that you can answer those things. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our answer most of all. And that it was your life and your death that allows us back into relationship with you, that allows your favor to rest on us, that allows our work to be established, that allows us to go to you as our dwelling place. Lord, may we trust in you and walk with you. And it's in your name we pray. Jesus, amen.